The first reading is from John 20, 19 to 23. <coughs> On the evening of um, that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The second reading is from Acts uh, 2.14 and then 22-32. Then Peter stood up with, um, with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the, to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with, with joy in your presence. Brother, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on all, that he would place one of his <coughs> descendants on his throne. <coughs> Seeing that was ahead, he spoke to the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has, God has raised uh, this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb with my first question, so listen carefully. Has anyone here ever been to the cinema to watch a film? <laughs> okay, I thought we might, might have one or two takes on that. Okay, I'm sure you all have seen uh, uh, one or two films in your lives, so you have a rough idea of how they finish. So, the evil, the enemy is vanquished, and the heroes all ride off into the sunset. Have the first slide up. Or maybe the couple at the heart of the film finally get together and they kiss. 
Or, in some cases, if you're really lucky, you get both the sunset and the kiss at the same time. And as an aside, if anyone wants to catch me afterwards and tell me what the three films they've just uh, shown are, uh, then there's no prizes, but I just thought I'd put it out there. But however the film ends, there's usually some dramatic event, some final shot, then the end. Roll the credits. And we get up out of our seats, we pick up our empty popcorn boxes, and we head for the doors, get back on with our ordinary, everyday lives. And I think that's a response we can all too easily fall into with our Easter journey that we've been on over the last few weeks. So, as a church, we focused on many different aspects of prayer during Lent. Uh, many of us following along with a lectio course from the 24-7 prayer movement and in the various small groups during this time. And then, as we got to Holy Week... We followed through the high point of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Then we had the lows of his betrayal, show trial, torture and execution on Good Friday. And then we celebrated on Easter Sunday as the tomb was found empty and Jesus returned in his resurrection. This was a great and glorious moment, the centre point of history, which we celebrate afresh each Easter Sunday. And if this was a Hollywood movie, that's the point at which we'd roll the credits. But as Nick was saying earlier, we're here now, a week on from Easter. So how do we respond? Do we just get up of our seats, dispose of our popcorn boxes, head for the doors and get on with our ordinary lives? Or is there more to come? So at the heart of this morning, I want to ask this simple question. So what now? Now, I think this, this particular question resonates not only with the big picture of Easter, but also uh, it speaks into where we are as a church right at this moment. Now, after much discussion and quite a lot of paperwork, I believe, uh, the Vine and St. Tim's are now a joint benefice. We've come together. And Will already shared on Palm Sunday a little bit about uh, what we'll be exploring over the next few weeks. Uh, about focal ministry. So part of our So What Now will be exploring what focal ministry means and if that's the right way to be going as a church. Now, I'm not going to say too much more on that because I know that's going to be the focus of the next few weeks on the lead-up to the APCM uh, in, in the middle of May. But what I do want to look at this morning is a little bit more detail at the passages that we've been reading. So, across the two passages... We read, we see the initial so what now of Jesus' disciples. So in John chapter 20, we find them hiding, fearful of the Jewish leaders. I'm sure the rumors were already circulating about the empty tomb, but they were not yet ready to fully believe and to step out in response. And then Jesus came and stood among them. And then if you move on there. And shortly after that, we come to Acts chapter 2. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. What an amazing contrast. 
from a group of people hiding in fear to speaking boldly in front of a crowd of thousands. The initial so what now of Jesus' closest followers was to go from fear to boldly proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. So I think it's worth taking a few minutes to have a look at exactly what Peter had to say to these crowds. And I think it follows a very similar journey to what we've gone over Easter, over Holy Week. So, first of all, God made it very clear that Jesus was sent by him. Jesus was announced clearly by miracles, wonders and signs, including the triumphant entry to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. There is no way to simply ignore Jesus. You can follow him, you can reject him, but you can't simply walk away and pretend he isn't there. Peter then went on to describe the response of the people of the day. Jesus was put to death on the cross by those who would not accept him. But even here, God was in charge. And I think this exposes one of the real key mysteries right at the heart of the crucifixion. It was an event that was both a key part of God's plan to rescue us, but at the same time resulted from the evil actions of people. God used this great evil to reconcile us back to him. And we know that was not the end. God brought Jesus back from the dead. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then Peter goes on to quote from King David. I have to admit, the first few times I read this section, I was a little confused by exactly what Peter's point was here. So David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with the joy of your presence. So Peter followed that by pointing out that David had in fact died and his tomb was available to visit. As I said earlier, it took me a little while to understand what Peter was saying here, but I believe the point is is simply that David stated, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, but clearly can't have been talking about himself because David is now dead. So David as a prophet must have been speaking about a future person, one of his own descendants who would not be abandoned to death. So what Peter is really saying is, look, You shouldn't be surprised that Jesus, God's chosen one, would return from the dead. King David, one of your most revered historical figures, had already predicted this hundreds of years ago. So Peter really hammers this point home in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So let me repeat that last phrase again. We are all witnesses witnesses of it. Peter is not making an abstract theological point here. This is not, Jesus will live on in our hearts, or his teaching has outlived him. 
This is a clear statement that Jesus was raised from the dead and was seen by witnesses. So, what now? If you'll permit me to move on a little further beyond the bit of Acts chapter 2 that we read today, we'll find that the crowds ask the same question of Peter and his disciples. Taking Peter's response and the actions later in the chapter, I believe there are three ways in which we are called to respond to Jesus' death and resurrection. The first thing Peter calls the crowds to do is to repent, to turn back to God and seek forgiveness for their sins. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, speaking for myself, I certainly know this is not a one-time thing. We must be continually repenting and turning back to God as we daily wander off from him. So what did the crowds do? What did the believers do once they had repented? They met together to pray and uh, to learn to pray and to praise God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then later, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Finally, they looked out for everyone who had needs by selling property and possessions to raise funds to meet those needs. Repent, prayer and praise, meeting needs. Now, I'm sure that none of these will come as a surprise to anyone who's been a follower of Jesus, even for a very short space of time. None of these are new. None of these are something you haven't heard many, many times before. But I want to ask each of us today, and to be really clear, I very much include myself in this question. What do you need to embrace afresh as you live your life in the light of the risen Jesus? Do you need to repent to turn back to God after you've drifted away? Do you need to seek God more deeply in prayer or turn what you have already seen back to him in praise and worship? Are you feeling nudged towards a particular need that you could meet? Are there some small or large steps you could be taking towards that. In short, what is the so what now that God is putting on your heart this morning?